um, I want to revisit some of the important foundational things about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to live life as somebody who has faith, somebody who has put their faith in Jesus. Um, in a number of environments recently, I've found myself saying to people that, you know, when I was, uh, when I was first saved, when I was young, I was 17 years old, and in my early years of faith, in my formative years of faith, uh, it seemed that everywhere I went and in everything that was going on, people were coming out with the phrase, I want to be like Jesus. And that is the aim, that is the target of our faith. That actually the journey that we are on is that you and I become more and more like Jesus, that we take on his attributes, that we think like him, that our attitudes reflect him, that the things that we do with our lives reflect Jesus. Sad to say... Um, I don't hear that very much these days. Uh, that, you know, people don't seem to be saying that. And I don't know whether that's indicative of us not actually thinking that anymore, whether our lives have become more complex and, and busy or whatever. But um, I am concerned that we have lost that desire and that impetus of wanting um, our lives to reflect Jesus, wanting to become like him. And that should be our desire. That should be right at the core of who we are. What I want to do is, is revisit some of the important and significant things that will help us to see what that means and hopefully help us to engage more with that process. Um, for many of us, uh, you know, we, we made a journey to faith. We made a journey towards Jesus. We were lost, and I love it, Tash said it in her testimony last week, I absolutely love it, I was lost and Jesus found me. You know, and that's the truth of it, that we were lost and Jesus came looking for us and Jesus found us. And um, we uh, were brought to a place of revelation of who he is. We, we came to understand who Jesus is and what that means for our lives. And we got saved. And hopefully we got filled with the Holy Spirit. And, uh, but here is the problem. The majority of us and it is the majority of us, have camped in that place. The majority of people that I speak to, uh, people of faith, you know, on a, on a, sometimes on a day-to-day -day basis, certainly on a weekly basis, who, it's clear, have gone through that experience and have enjoyed that and have celebrated that and we have celebrated with some of you when that has happened but have actually kind of made camp in that place and have not progressed on to becoming everything that God intends you to be have not continued on the journey of maturity and becoming everything that God has planned for you and that's the thing that I want to start challenging today is that actually you know where are you in your walk of faith are you still challenged by faith? Do you still have faith expectations? Do you still have, uh, have you ever had faith targets? Have you ever, you know, what, what is it that challenges your faith right now? Are you putting yourself in, in situations where actually your faith is challenged so something is, is actually drawn out of you so that you are caused, if you like, to grow in faith? Have you developed in your understanding of the Bible and everything that it has to say to us and to teach us? Have you developed in your relationship with Jesus? Have you developed in your relationship in the fellowship, in the church? Have you developed in the gifts that God has given you? Are you engaging with that journey or have you made camp somewhere and is it time 
to pull out the stakes and move on. That's the challenge. And I want to read um, this morning to get us started on that from Acts chapter 2. It is Pentecost Sunday, but I want to pick up uh, um, just past where the Holy Spirit is poured out and look at some of the things that happen there. Because for at least 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost, this is how their journey started. You know that um, Jesus said to the disciples that you must wait in Jerusalem uh, until you have been given power from on high. So Jesus has spent three years teaching his disciples, training them, getting them ready for the fact that he's leaving and handing the baton over to them. And the last thing that he says to them before ascending into heaven is this. He says that you must wait in Jerusalem until you have received power from on high. So the day of Pentecost comes and um, these guys, 120 of them, are all together. The text is a little bit ambiguous in terms of the Greek because it doesn't, it's not very specific about where they were. And a lot of people assume that this was the upper room, that they were all in the upper room. If you've seen pictures of the upper room, I'd like to know how you fit 120 people in there. You know, it's not going to work. Um, for me, because the, 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 in the Greek it says they were in the same place. Well, they were meeting in the temple every day. And so it seems more reasonable to me that the place where all of this happens is the temple. That they were meeting at the temple because that's what they were doing every day. And it's while at the temple praying and worshipping that God pours out the Holy Spirit. And you get that sound of the wind rushing through the temple and the tongues of fire appearing over the heads of the disciples. And they start speaking in tongues. They start speaking languages they have never learnt in praise to God. And the crowd standing around are amazed because they're understanding some of these languages. And they're, they're saying, well, you know, how is it? that we've come from all these different parts of the world and here are these guys who are praising God in these different languages. You know, how, how can that happen? How can that be? And then off the back of that, the Apostle Peter gets up and preaches uh, the, the first, his first recorded sermon at any rate. I'm sure he's preached a few times before because Jesus sent them out to preach the gospel in teams and I'm sure he'll have had a go here and there. But this is the first recorded message of Peter and Peter stands up to speak and he tells them about Jesus and he, he actually challenges them about the fact that Jesus is God. And he comes to the point at verse 36 in Acts chapter 2 verse 36 where he says this let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him that's Jesus both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified now when they heard this they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles brothers what shall we do and Peter said to them Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. Then it goes on. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's incredible stuff, isn't it? That this happy band of pilgrims, these, uh, they're counted as being 120 at the point that the Holy Spirit is poured out, um, are suddenly increased to 3,120 uh, because of the, the preaching of Peter. And uh, th- then you see these people who are saved then need to start on this journey of being what God has saved them to be. You see, you're not just saved from something, you're saved to something. Yes, that y- you have been saved from your sins. All of those things, all the things you ever thought or, or said or did that have offended God, the blood of Jesus has paid for that. And as you put your faith in him, you have been saved from your sins. But you have not been saved to go into a void. You have not been saved to make camp, to celebrate and make camp in that place and stay there. You, you had a revelation of Jesus that drew you to him. But you are not supposed to stay in that place. When they were on the mountaintop, um, Peter, James and John with Jesus, the transfiguration, they saw Jesus in all his glory. And they saw Moses and Elijah there with him. And Peter's first instinct is to make camp. Peter's first thought is, this is brilliant, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay here in this moment, I am not going to progress from here, I'm going to build tents so that we can just live here in in this glorious moment where we see Jesus for who he is and we get to rub shoulders with Moses and Elijah. And he gets a rebuke for it. Because we're not supposed to stay in that moment. We're supposed to go and grow and develop and move on and become everything that God has called us to be and do everything that God has called us to do. And the beginning of that journey, Peter starts with this. He says, repent, which means quite simply, turn back. Turn away from the old life and turn into the new life. And many of us, because we've made camp, are living in some kind of strange in-between world where we've kind of not really done either. We still have one foot in our old life and we've tried to plant a foot in the new life and you know, I can't do the splits but you know, if you are... Yeah, I'm not going any further than that, don't worry. But you know, if you try and do that, sooner or later it gets painful. It it gets challenging because sooner or later you've got to decide is my foot going in this life or that life? And most of us try and put off making that decision because we know that if we're going to put our feet in the new life, it's actually going to be costly. It's actually going to mean us, you know, really engaging with this mission, with this life, with this walk. It's going to mean us giving some stuff up. It's going to mean us giving some stuff away. It's going to mean us actually revisiting our diaries and and our bank accounts and seeing what we spend our time and our resources on. It's going to mean us thinking about what it means to become like Jesus, to reflect him 
in our lives in every way. Uh, and Peter starts at that point. He says, there has to be a turning around. You were heading this way. This is the way your life was going because of the choices that you made. And now, if you want to follow Jesus, you must turn around. You must turn your back on all of that and start going the direction that God is calling you in. Of following Jesus and becoming like him. And that's where it starts. It requires a faith response. Now listen, to, to attempt to do this without having had some revelation of who Jesus is would be futile. Because I want to tell you, if you are going to repent, if you are going to turn around and try following Jesus without that revelation and without some help from God, it's going to be tough. It's going to be very, very tough. And it starts, that's why it starts with that, um, uh, that uh, event where faith kicks in. In Ephesians 2, at verse 8, Paul says this. He says, For you have been saved by grace through faith, and not of your own works, lest any man should boast. In other words, what he's saying is this, that your salvation is totally the work of God, and it's nothing that you did. You have contributed nothing to this, but because you've put your faith in Jesus, he has done all the work that is necessary. In other words, this is important to understand. Um, you could do nothing to save yourself. Hello? You, there's no price that you can pay for it, even if you had enough money. There is no price. There is no work you can do. There is, there is nothing, there is no behavior you can adopt that will save you. Your salvation comes purely through putting your faith in Jesus. You put your faith in Jesus because the Holy Spirit has helped you. Because the Holy Spirit has shown you who Jesus is and he helps you then. He gives you a gift of faith so that you can invest that faith in Jesus and that's the point at which you are saved. Now the repenting goes hand in hand with all of that. That if we have turned from God to go our own way, when that faith comes upon us, when that revelation hits us, we should turn around and repent because we have seen the light, because we have seen the truth, because we have seen Jesus. And having seen him, our life then takes an absolute U-turn and we head in a different direction to pursue Jesus. Your works cannot save you. But what I want you to understand is this, and this is one of the things that get people camped in the wrong place. That we understand that the grace of God means that we're saved by his grace and it doesn't require any payment or uh, action from us other than putting our faith in Jesus. And many of us have taken that grace and have camped in that place and said it's not about works. I don't have to do anything to be saved. And you know, that's absolutely true. But, it's also absolutely wrong. You are not saved by works, but you are saved from works to works. Let me tell you what that means. You are saved from the works that were taking your life towards hell and destruction and breakdown. You are saved from those works to begin works that take you into life and righteousness and service of the living God. You're saved from death, not just to sit there in that place, but to be brought into life. You're saved from your past to be brought into your future. And there is a journey to make. 
and then Peter says this he says be baptized he says repent be baptized every one of you now for us uh, we don't in the, in the culture that we live in baptism is something that that has become in most places a kind of a, a religious occasion and we don't really understand the full weight of what Peter is talking about in the New Testament when you were baptized in the New Testament and there were a lot of baptisms so please don't think that you know, this is anything new when Peter says you must be baptized there were a lot of baptisms John the Baptist had a baptism of repentance what did that mean it meant that if you went down to John the Baptist wherever he was baptizing and asked him to baptize you you were saying to the whole world that you repented of your sin that you repented of your wickedness and that you had decided to live a more holy life there were other people who you would go to be baptized by and you were being baptized into their name what does that mean? It means that if I am baptized into somebody's name, it means that my whole intention, I'm making a public declaration here, that my whole intention is to become like them. If I, was, um, if I had decided that I wanted to be baptized into the name of Steve, I would need to grow a foot, I would need to put on some weight, I need to become less good looking. No, but if I had decided, if I had decided that I wanted to be baptized into the name of Steve, what I am saying to the whole world is this. I want to be like him. I want to be just like him. I want to, I, I want to walk like him, talk like him, scooboop, be do, be do, be do, be do. And that is the nature of baptism. And when Peter is calling people to be baptized, he is calling us to be baptized into the name of Jesus. So when we get baptized, it's not just that we're saying my sin is forgiven and washed away and left in the bottom of the pool. It's not just that we're saying that I'm having a new life because of all of that, because the, the past is gone and the, and the new has come. But we're saying that my life is now given over and dedicated to the pursuit of being like Jesus, of following him, of having him as the main priority in my life and everything else becomes secondary. And I am going to shape my life around him. I am going to allow him to teach me so that I think like him. I am going to allow him to inspire me so that I act like him. I am going to allow him to empower me so that I do the works that he did. All of that stuff. When I get baptized, I am saying I am determined now I'm saying to the whole world I am determined now to be like him who I am being baptized into and most of us here this morning have been through the waters of baptism and been baptized into Jesus we're baptized not just into a new life but into a new lifestyle our determination now is that we will become like him and live life like him and Peter says that if you do that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit now these guys who he's talking to they're all gathered there because um, they've come to the temple to worship um, it's one of the key festivals in, in the life of Judaism um, the people will come from all over the world so uh, Jewish proselytes who have been sent out that's Jewish 
people who have gone out to preach the Jewish gospel, if you like. Um, they will be making a journey back. They'll be making a pilgrimage home to come and worship. Gentiles who have converted uh, into Judaism, they will be coming. They, they may have never been to Jerusalem in their lives. They will be coming to worship because it's a part of what they do. And the temple would have been filled with these people because it was one of the big festivals. And right in the middle of all of that, Jesus picks that moment to pour out the Holy Spirit and all sorts of wonderful things start to happen. And the crowd around are amazed by all of this. The same as as you carry on reading through Acts, when the Holy Spirit is poured out in various places, there are people who want it. There are people who want to pay money for it because they see the wonders of God because they see something incredible happening in front of them and they want it and so they say to Peter how then can we be saved what must we do to be saved and that's where Peter gives them this message he says you need to repent you need to be baptized and then you can have all of this too you can receive all of this as well now you know we have uh, uh, as Pentecostals forgive me for getting a little bit theological here but it's all part of your growth we have a doctrine called subsequence and separability and I want to explain to you very quickly what that is because I want you to understand uh, and I want you not to miss out on things that God has for you okay clearly from Paul's writings when we put our faith in Jesus and we get saved, there is a deposit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That is the deposit that helps us to know deep inside ourselves that we are now different, that we are born again, that life has changed, that it will never be the same. There is a deposit of the Holy Spirit that enables us to cry out, Abba, Father, because we start to understand for the first time that God really is our Father, that He really does love us, that He really does want to look after us and help us. Yeah? We have that deposit of the Holy Spirit. That is not the same as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to be clear about that because there are some people who will teach you that you get it all when you're saved. I want to tell you, you don't get it all when you're saved. You might have got it at the same time, but it didn't come in the same package. There were two different gifts. They came in different boxes. You might have got the second gift, seconds after you got the first gift, but they are two different gifts. It's important that we understand that because if I'm talking about being filled with the power of God so that you can live a life like Jesus, I don't want you to kind of uh, tie that completely in with the salvation event. Because what happens then is people start to feel bad, they start to feel guilty, they start to feel like a second class Christian because for some reason I got saved but none of this actually happened. I talked to a lot of people who uh, they asked me about the gifts of the spirit about speaking in tongues particularly you know uh, because i can't speak in tongues does that mean i'm not saved no it doesn't don't be daft of course you are saved you gave your life to jesus you put your faith in him of course you are saved but there is something more now if you want to know the kind of theological basis for this in in acts there are four occasions where the apostles meet new groups of Christians now note, new groups of Christians, these people are people of faith, they've put their faith in Jesus, they have been saved, and the question that they ask them is this did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed 
And on these four occasions, the answer to that is no. In fact, on one of these occasions, they say, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. But these people are referred to as Christians. They are people who have been saved. They're people who have been born again. Just in the same way that the disciples were saved before the day of Pentecost. Because at various points through the Gospels it says, and his disciples put their faith in him. So on the day of Pentecost the disciples are saved, but until that rushing wind they're not baptized in the Holy Spirit. They have received a deposit which comes when you're saved, but they've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. So what happens in these four situations in Acts is that the apostles, of course, then say, well, we're going to lay hands on you and we're going to pray that you do receive this Holy Spirit, that you are baptized in this Holy Spirit so that you have the power that you need to be what God is calling you to be. On three out of four of those occasions, it records that when they were prayed for, they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. In other words there was some kind of supernatural reaction to the fact that they had been empowered now by the Holy Spirit. On the fourth occasion, it doesn't tell you exactly what happened, but what it does say is that, that uh, this slightly weird guy offers the, um, the disciples... Will you read it? He is slightly weird. Re- he offers the disciples money if he can have this gift of laying hands on people so that they're filled with the Holy Spirit. So clearly something supernatural has happened. Clearly something is different because hands have been laid on. Now I don't want us to get legalistic about this. I don't want us to get in any way oppressed by this. But what I do want to say to you is this. That there is a separate and subsequent event to your salvation called generally the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In which God fills you with his Holy Spirit and his power. Let me also tell you this, that he does that for a reason. Because when Jesus promises the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1, he says, you must wait so that you receive power. Why? So that you can be my witnesses. This is not just some occasion where you can sit and have the chills down your spine and have this, you know, closer walk with God and it's all, you know, uh, roses and sunshine and rainbows for a while and everything. You know, if you get that, that's fantastic. That's wonderful and God bless you. But the reason that God wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit and his power is so that you can be his witness. Because that is the primary call on your life. That if you have put your faith in Jesus and you have become one of his followers, your objective now is to be like him. And in being like him, to witness to who he is. People should be asking questions about why you are so different. The challenge for most of us is that actually we're not that different. The only difference is we come to church on a Sunday morning. And we read our spiritual horoscopes every morning. And Sorry. Our word for today every morning and other helpful little booklets which annoy the life out of me. But God bless you. But hear what I'm saying. We do those things, right? We do those things and we make a mantra out of these things. And then we go to work and nobody tells any difference. There is something wrong. 
the Holy Spirit is poured out so that you will be his witnesses. So that you become more and more like him. Not just, but please don't exclude, the personality issues of becoming gracious and peace-loving and kind and helpful, but also just and righteous and in your face if you need it. But things like healing the sick, delivering the oppressed, walking on water when it's called for, performing miracles. These are all a part of being like Jesus. In our leadership stream on a Thursday night, we started this Thursday by considering the thought that actually... if if we are to be good at this then we should be engaging in everything that Jesus engaged in we should be doing everything that Jesus did you know there is only one thing that Jesus did that you cannot do that is you cannot pay the price of of sin for the whole world because you are a sinner but he could because he was sinless now you can't do that but everything else that you read about Jesus you can do because he sends his Holy Spirit to fill you with power so that you can do those things and most of us have allowed ourselves to be bullied by a culture that rails against these things most of us have allowed ourselves to be pushed into a corner and to have our lives diminished because we are too concerned about what other people think and how they might react to us being like Jesus there are other reasons as well. I'm quite convinced talking to some people that actually their reason is they just can't be bothered. I hate that. I'd much rather have the I'm frightened. Okay, because we can deal with that. We can work with that. I want you to know, and you know, this, I understand this is my job. I understand because I have a reverend in front of my name. People kind of expect some of these things from me. You know, I understand that when people come in here, they know that we're a church and so they're kind of open for some of that stuff. But I want to tell you, nobody has ever refused to have me pray for them, ever. They might not have wanted me to do it on the spot, but nobody has ever said, no, please don't do that. I've got a problem. Okay, I'd really love to pray for you. Is that okay? Oh, would you? That's the normal response. Quite a lot of people are quite happy for me to do it there and then. But every time you ask that question, you run the risk of somebody saying no. And that's the fear. We get fearful that people won't like us because we're like Jesus. We get, we get fearful because we think that people will write us off because we're religious. Jesus sends his Holy Spirit so that you can be like him. He sends his Holy Spirit so that you can do the works that he did and bear witness to who he is. He sends his Spirit so that you can be a different person. Not encamped in that wonderful event when you got saved, but developing and progressing and growing through your life into maturity. A lot of people think that they are mature Christians because they've been a Christian a long time. I want to tell you that is a bad equation. 
You can have been a Christian for 50 years, but still be living in that place 50 years ago where you gave your life to Jesus. The fact that you've been on this road a long time does not mean that you're mature. Maturity is when we grow in God. Maturity is when our lives start to reflect who Jesus is. Maturity is when we reach a hand out to the sick and pray for them. Maturity is when we put our hands in our pockets because we see people struggling and we want to help them. Maturity is when we understand that fellowship is important and we make being together a priority in our lives. Maturity is getting in to the word of God, getting past, and I know I'm a bit hard on the daily notes there, but listen, some of you have read daily notes for years and got nowhere with theology. And that's my issue. That actually it takes more than just reading somebody's five-minute reflection on a, on a soundbite of scripture to grow in your understanding of God. It takes more than that. It takes a bit of devotion. It takes a bit of study. It takes a bit of work. That's my beef. Okay, rant over. But maturity is about growing in our understanding. Not, not doing it all overnight. You know, we've got a lifetime to process this stuff. We've got a lifetime to work all this stuff out. But we must get started. We must get started. And we must start to grow. And we must start to consider what needs to happen in my life, what needs to change so that my life reflects Jesus. And to help you with all of that, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. I, I want to tell you, I know for absolute gold-plated certainty that I have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, the guy who led me to Jesus had the wisdom uh, in those moments to pray for me to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I knew from the first prayer when I gave my life to Jesus, I knew my life had changed. From the second prayer, I, uh, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, I knew that everything was different. Everything. To the extent that uh, when I went to work on the, on the Monday morning after that weekend, uh, it got to lunchtime and... Um, I worked in a, in a workshop. I worked in an environment where a sentence wasn't complete unless it had the F word in it, you know, and um, it was just not a great place to work. And that lunchtime, all of the guys in the workshop disappeared except for the manager who <laughs> kind of sidled up to me and he said, are you all right? I said, yeah, I've never been better. He said, well, the guys were a bit worried about you. I said, well, what are they worried about? He said, well, he said, you haven't used the F word all morning. Now, I hadn't even thought about it. I hadn't realized. But something had changed because the Holy Spirit had got a hold of my vocabulary and my vocabulary had changed. I was a very insecure person. I would not say boo to a goose. And yet I found myself talking to complete strangers and friends and family about Jesus with no hesitation and no restriction. I wanted them to know that I'd met Jesus and that life was different. And actually, if you want it, you can have that too. I prayed for sick people. And guess what? They got well. At the age of 17, um, I had a couple of friends at church got, got saved the same time as me. Uh, Mick and Jackie, brother and sister. Um, we, used to, we used to go out walking. We used to go out late at night walking because we used to, for some reason, enjoy that. I can't imagine it now. But we used to go out late at night walking. I remember getting around to their house uh, mid-evening. We were going to have a drink and then we were going to go out for a walk. And Jackie's just kind of propped up in this armchair. She'd fallen down the stairs. She had done something to one of the discs in her back. 
uh, was in so much pain that she couldn't move. The doctor had been round, and he had given her, um, I'm not quite sure what, but she didn't know what day of the week it was. She was so drugged up that she barely knew who I was, let alone what the day of the week was. And she's sitting in this chair. She can't move because of the pain. She's drugged up to the eyeballs, and Mick and I just looked at each other, and we both, almost in you know, harmony, said together, let's pray. And he laid a hand on one shoulder and I laid a hand on the other shoulder. And they were awkward, stilted prayers. We'd been saved a few months. We didn't know how you were supposed to do this. We didn't know the liturgy. We didn't know, you know, the magic words or anything. We just stood there and said, Jesus, we have no idea what we're doing here. But we just know that something needs to happen. And will you please heal Jackie? And in that instant... Not only was her back healed, but all of the effects of the drugs instantly disappeared. She got up, we went out for a walk. Now listen, that's why the Holy Spirit is given. So that you and I can live lives that are filled with nice little events like that. Because we've understood that that's our mission. Because we've understood that that's why the Spirit is given. Because we've understood that the power of God can deal with any situation that we face. And the road to maturity for us is continually putting ourselves in the place where actually those things get drawn out of us. If you want to sit in a corner, out of the way, and pretend none of this exists, then, you know, God bless you. (laughs) But... The call on your life is to get into this flow of life with God, of life in the Holy Spirit, that will bring you to maturity so that when you lay hands on the sick, they recover. Let me tell you, I I have laid hands on thousands of people in these last um, 40 years. Not everybody got healed. And sometimes I understand why that is, and a lot of the time I don't understand why that is but let me tell you I keep praying for the sick because sometimes people do get healed and I keep speaking to people about Jesus because sometimes people do get saved hello and I keep praying that God will help us as a church with our finances even in these bleak moments when you know the 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 accounts are flatlining and we don't know what we're going to do next and some weeks we get nice little surprises of money that comes in from nowhere that we weren't expecting. We had a check this week for £250 from Kingdom Bank with a little note that just said, Phil Deakin suggested we send this to you. We love you. That's all right, isn't it? We could do with a few more of those. That doesn't happen every week. But I still keep praying. I still keep um, encouraging faith in myself to believe that God will do everything that he's promised he will do. Why? Because the spirit is in me. And the spirit that is in me is bigger and stronger and better than the spirit that is in the world. And if I keep engaging with him and, and, and keep getting topped up and refilled, if I keep looking to him and asking him what's next, where do I go, what do I do, these things keep happening. Hello? And sooner or later these things start coming to you. Because people know that if they come to you, they'll get something. You understand what I'm saying? I'm out of time. And uh, I think I've said everything that I want to say, and any more might start to border on waffle.
I want to pray. You knew that was coming. But I, I want you to be challenged but this morning by the thought that this is normal Christianity. That normal Christianity has us filled with the power of God and going out and doing the works of Jesus. That is normal Christianity. And that should be what we aspire to. That should be what we're looking for. That should be what we are engaging with. A church where the sick get healed and the oppressed get delivered and miracles happen in our finances. A church where, you know, what I really loved, going about the testimonies from Tash and from Phil last week, is the way they spoke about the church. Philomena didn't want to go home because she so much enjoyed being here because people were speaking to her and encouraging her you know Tash is already using the language of this is my family I think that's just absolutely wonderful but that's how it should be for everybody you know are you with me okay it's Pentecost Sunday guess what we're going to pray for come on let's stand Now, I tell you what, on a day like today and with a message like that, it would be very easy for me to say, um, come down the front if you want to get filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. Um, and uh, some of us would rush down and some of us would be hesitant about it. But guess what? What I'm going to say is this. Come down the front if you want to get filled with the Holy Spirit afresh. If you want that baptism all over again, if you want that baptism of power so that you can become everything that Jesus has called you to be, then you come down to the front. We're not going to put any music on. We're not going to dress it up. We're not going to romanticize anything. We're just going to, if you want the Holy Spirit this morning, if you need more of him, then you come down to the front here. But when you're coming down to the front here to receive more of the Holy Spirit, please have right at the forefront of your thinking, I am receiving the spirit of power so that I can be his witness. I am receiving the spirit of power so I can go out and reflect who Jesus is. And if that's what you want, I really want to lay hands on you this morning. Okay, so now is the time. Come on. Come on, Chess. I like that eagerness. You know, the Apostle Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians, where the Holy Spirit is concerned, talks a lot about eagerly desiring. You, I don't know if you remember um, a couple of weeks back, we had a similar occasion and um, when I said come forward if you want more of God Joy shot out of her seat like it was an ejector seat and almost ran down to the front here and because of her eagerness something was triggered because some, something rose up in me the minute she started running and by the time I got to her I just I barely got my hand up and she's flat on the floor, floor having a party with Jesus that is the result of eagerness you know, and desire for God. And I pray for us this morning that that would be in our hearts, that eagerness and that desire for God. So why don't we just raise a hand towards heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The Holy Spirit loves to make his home in a thankful heart. Thank you, Jesus. Father, as we stand here together with our hands raised to you, we acknowledge our need of you. We acknowledge our need of your grace and your mercy. 
We acknowledge our need of your power. And we pray, Holy Spirit, you would come now and fill us afresh with your spirit and your power. Now I pray the power of God come upon you now. Pray the power of the living God come upon you now. That you would be filled afresh with his Holy Spirit and his power from the top of your head down to the end of your toes. That there would be a fresh outbreak this morning of the purposes of God in your life. That you would know that God is for you. That he has a call on your life to take you to a bigger place, a better place. That there is more, more than you're experiencing, more than you have ever experienced. There is more of God to be found in your life as you reach out to him. And I pray, Holy Spirit, this morning, just let your power fall on all of these dear people who are looking for you now. That let their eagerness, Lord, draw something of heaven down into their lives. And let them be filled afresh with your Holy Spirit and with your power. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and his power in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and his power in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. More of your power, Lord. More of your power, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. More power. Let it come. Let it come. Let the glory of God come. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let the power of God come. Be filled in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.